From CSB Studios in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey, on EMTR Radio Network, this is the Past Ball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com. Once again, I apologize. I'm still trying to figure out the whole uh, music thing, man, and I don't know if any of you guys can relate to this, but you know, I got an iPhone, and I'm trying to import my songs to this computer, and I, I don't, I don't know, man. It's all me, dude. I'm trying to figure out what the heck I'm doing, but you know, glad to have you guys aboard. Great show planned today. Lots going on in baseball. I don't know if you guys are just checking the wire now, but it looks like the Washington Nationals have acquired Denard Span from the Minnesota Twins. So they get, you know, they get their uh, their man after waiting for him for a couple of years. I don't know if you guys look back a couple of years ago. It looked like there was uh, close. There was their teams were pretty close to making a deal, which would have sent uh, Span to the Nationals in exchange for Drew Storen. Um, I think the deal ends up for a little bit less as Span is coming off of a down season. But, hey, it happens, man. And uh, Nationals got their man. They obviously had their eyes on Span for a couple of years now. And I think this does a lot of interesting things when you're looking at, you know, what's going on with the Nationals. Bryce Harper, you know, he could finally move him to the corner outfield spot, which is really where he belongs. I mean, he belongs in left field. I think Michael Morris moves over to first base. You got Worth in right field. And, you know, you got you got your team. And I think this uh, obviously speaks a lot to a lot of different levels as far as what's going on with the team. Adam LaRoche, who I thought would have been such a logical guy to bring back for another year or another two years to be your first baseman, is essentially gone now. As uh, the Nationals decide Denard Span playing center field every day was, in their mind, an upgrade over Adam LaRoche. And let's be honest, I don't know if I really agree with that. But Span gives them that leadoff type hitter. And as you're, you know, you're putting a configuration of the rest of the team up there, like I said, Harper moves to left, Morse moves to first, and, and away we go. So the Washington Nationals are going to go with, you know, go with Span here as they've just acquired him from the Minnesota Twins in exchange for a minor league player or two. And, uh, you know, this, this offseason is underway, man. And, I, you know, listen, if you're a baseball fan like me, if you love the sport the way I do, you're probably going crazy now because this is, this is the time of year where you see transactions, you see, see things happening winter meetings next week, you know? I mean, it, it, listen, if you're a baseball fan like me, you got to love what's going on. And, uh, you know, certainly lots, lots of things going on. We're going to, you know, divert a little bit to stuff going on in Bases Empty blog. We're going to go over this day in baseball history. We're going to, you know, maybe talk a little sabermetrics, maybe not. But um, today on the show, we're going to be joined in a little bit by a Sirius XM host, and uh, you can catch him a little bit on Daily News Live, Bruce Murray. And in the second hour, we're going to be joined by uh, Major League pitcher C.J. Nikowski, who is apparently just getting ready to start winter ball. Looks like he's making another comeback for another season. Also want to talk a little bit about his writing as he's uh, he's written a couple very good articles and stuff like that. So we're going to talk about that. I do have another couple guests planned, but I just want to make sure that uh, I get the full confirmation before I announce them. But, you know, there are, um, you know, there's going to be other spots here. And uh want to give you guys a chance in a little bit to open up the phone lines, but... You know, we're going to get into the open. We're going to take you right into Bruce Murray. You should join us about 5.15 or so, and we'll take a break and probably open up the phone lines for some phone calls maybe around 5.30. So, uh, you know, we'll definitely get your opinion on it. And let's be honest, we want to figure out, you know, there's, there's so much going on in baseball, and it's, you know, I, I, love, I love when people say, what do you do in the off season if you host a baseball show? And that's what kind of, kind of gets me because I laugh about it. I think it's the most funny thing in the world because – Dude, if you're if you're in as baseball as much as I am, and I know there's a lot of you out there, you know this isn't you know this isn't the majority speaking when they say what are you going to talk about during you know when it's not baseball season after the last day of the World Series, there's nothing to talk about. It's football season. Well, it was a baloney. You know, you get in there, you get to this point where you get the winter meetings and stuff like that. You just went over the period where players were filing for free agency, so you know where the big ticket items are. You, you know, think about a little bit about where your bargains are going to be and stuff like that. And, you know, you get going. Next week's going to start winter meetings. Expect things to pick up a little bit, you know, as opposed to what they did last year. The, with the collective bargaining agreement, the way things are restructured, expect to see some, uh, some big moves going on next week. You know, last year, fans were a little disappointed. The winter meetings didn't really turn out to be this big, you know, spending spree, trades galore. I think it's going to happen this year. And the reason being that, you know, free agents are already set. You know, they've already filed. You got non-tenders coming this Friday. So you're going to have another group of free agents in there. And then all of a sudden, the general managers get together. 
They're trying to figure out, you know, within their own organizations what they want to do, and then they start talking with each other. And listen, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the discussion, a lot of the, uh, the conversations have been started already, and it's all set up. So, I think a lot of stuff's going to start going down. And I would say, you know, next Monday we're going to hear some deals. You know, it's like you heard today with Denard Span going to the Washington Nationals. You know, a couple, you know, you're going to see the finalization of the B.J. Upton deal with the Atlanta Braves, which, you know, if you listen to my show last Saturday, uh, you'll know you'll know that I was I was, I was right on with it. Uh, you know, there's talk about maybe him going to Boston, maybe him going to Philadelphia. And, you know, while if he signed with either one of those teams, I wouldn't be shocked. But let's be honest, the best fit for him is in Atlanta. And Atlanta was poised to make a move here. Michael Bourne. You know, as much as they liked Michael Bourne, as great of a season as Michael Bourne had last year, the Braves really didn't feel like he was worth the money that he was going to be looking for. Michael Bourne could pursue upwards near $100 million on a contract. And if he does that, you know, the Braves are looking at, hey, we just got B.J. Upton for five years and $75 million. And let's be honest, B.J. Upton brings more to the table than Michael Bourne. And Michael Bourne is kind of on a rise a little bit. Those last couple of years have gotten better than the previous years. But in the end, I think Michael Michael Bourne is not doesn't doesn't have all the tools that B.J. Upton has. And B.J. Upton is going to be able to go to center field for the Atlanta Braves, patrol the grounds there. You know, you you could kind of move the lineup around however you want. You could slot him in wherever. You know, he can be your leadoff batter, though it's not ideal. You know, he could bat somewhere maybe five, six in a lineup. You could even bat him second, though he strikes out a lot. But I tell you, the guy brings some power, and the Braves obviously are going to need it. Let's be honest. Braves need a little power in their lineup. Chipper Jones, you know, as much he, as he was towards the end of his career, he still is a presence in a lineup that they had yet to replace. And I think with Upton... They are Braves are able to kind of fill two needs, though I think they do got to make another move, whether it's for a third baseman or a left fielder. But the Braves kind of fill two needs with one signing there. They got their center fielder, and they got a guy who's going to add a little more pop to the lineup. You can put him between Hayward and Freeman or McCann and and uh, Freeman, however you want to do it. you got a right-hand bat that could kind of hit for some pop in the middle there, and I think he's going to do well in Atlanta. I think he's in a spot where he's not he's not hitting up a high media mark. He's not going to Boston. He's not going to Philadelphia. Yes, the expectations are going to be there because the Braves have built a tradition of winning. But I don't think there's the pressure that's going to be on him if he were going to go into one of those big media markets. And he's not going there to be the savior. He's going there to a team that's very well assembled, a, a team that's very well together. And let's be honest, he's not rebuilding the Atlanta Braves. The Braves are looking to get back to where they were last year. I know a disappointing wild card game loss to the St. Louis Cardinals last year didn't cut it. The Braves had some more expectations. But they definitely did a lot to get out of your head that thought of a collapse from the year before. And let's be honest, let's look at traditional September collapses for a second. You got the 1964 Phillies who after they collapsed, they struggled for a while after that. Had some ups and downs, but they, that, that, that was done after the 64 season, after they lost that race to the St. Louis Cardinals. You go back to the 2006 Mets, they still haven't recovered from the 2007 collapse. And you got the Boston Red Sox, who probably collapsed afterwards worse than they did during September of 2011. So looking at that, the Braves were really the first team to have a collapse that epic. And let's be honest, if it wasn't for the Red Sox in 2011, the Braves would have gotten a lot more publicity and it, and it would have been covered a lot more to see how, how it would have, would have faced out. I'm going to take this call. I believe it's Bruce Murray from uh, SiriusXM. Bruce, you there, buddy? It's John Pielli, Passball Show on TR Radio Network. Yeah, how you doing? All right, man. Thanks for having a couple minutes to call in, man. Uh, no problem at all. Hey, I want to let everybody know it's Bruce Murray, who uh, you know hosts a show on Sirius XM from uh, ten to two with, uh, I believe, John Feinstein at this point, right? Uh, John is actually gone. Oh, so, is he? Uh, thank you, but uh, John, John has made his exit. He will be uh, starting his own show on CBS coming up in January, um, January second, as a matter of fact. So he and I are no longer working together. 
Okay, so you're you running the show by yourself now? I, I'm running the show by myself. Oh, awesome, man. And obviously, you're, you're definitely well capable. And, you know, hopefully listeners as well as myself look forward to hearing a lot more of you. But, um, you know, as, as you come in here, man, you, you know, you obviously do some stuff with uh, SMY also. And, you know, you originally got involved in the launch of WFAN. Tell us a little bit about that and your involvement in that. Well, that was my first job in broadcasting, as a matter of fact. My first paid job in broadcasting. I mean, my first job in broadcasting okay. was an in, as an intern. Uh, but it was back in 1987, July 1st of 1987, when WFAN launched. And I was, um, I, was, I, I, I was unemployed at the time. I went in to interview with the first program director, a man named John Pruder. I think when I went into his office, never looked up from his desk when he said, you know, I have a job, it's an overnight desk assistant, which was at the time basically cutting tape and writing copy for the morning show. Uh, I can pay you $200 a week. He never looked up, and I said, all right, I guess I'll take it. I walked out, and he said, be here for a meeting on Wednesday. I could have sent my sister back in for the meeting. He would have had no idea who he interviewed. <laughs> I went in, got involved in July in, in 1987. Uh, my first job was producing the overnight show after – like two weeks, it was so disorganized. Um, produced for a while, ended up doing weekend updates. Uh, was there for about three years. Worked with some fabulous people, um, and that's basically where it started for me. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And as, as you know, as, as we move forward, I'm going to get into some stuff with the Mets and Yankees. But I, w- I want to kind of you know get get a little to, to know you here. Do you have a, do you have a, any any like major sport that you that you think is you know you're, you're more passionately into than other sports? You know. Yes and no. It, 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 most of it's been defined by what I've done in my career. There was a time when I did uh, an NFL show for about seven years. So for that period of time, it was the NFL. I, I worked on the Washington Bullets broadcast before they became the Wizards. Wow. For a period of time, it was the NBA. It, you know, removed from all of it emotionally, football and baseball are my first two loves. But I did grow up as a huge hockey fan. Um, still am. It's just that, you know, as I'm sure you know, if you're a fan of a team that's been bad for so long as I am of the New York Islanders, you know, your passion wanes a little. I was I was a big fan of the, of the New York Nets growing up. My passion waned a little. It's starting to come back as they make their return to Brooklyn, and it looks like they'll be competitive again. But, you know, I don't know that there's one over the other. You know, baseball and football, because largely because my teams have been better in recent years, but I think I, think I love them all. Now, that's awesome, man. Uh, and, you know, as I look at it, I, I have one true passion. It doesn't mean I don't really follow other sports, but I follow baseball to a point where I just, you know, I, I got the history down pat. I could tell you every, you know, World Series winners, you know, since 1903. You know, I study it to a point where it's just kind of ridiculous. But uh, but I get it. You know, the whole, you know, you, you know, just with all the different sports involved, it, you know, you kind of go from one season to the other. And I think that, you know, that's how I would say the majority of fans and the majority of people that cover sports kind of kind of look at it you, you'd agree with that bruce right yeah i would and listen i i love guys like you my former partner in chicago bob Berger, uh, had the same passion for baseball that you do and we'd sit around and start rattling off the world series winners um from the early 1900s and you know i i think i can do them pretty well from about late 50s early 60s on but when he gets like into the 40s and he's telling me about the cardinals and the reds i'm like i, I listen good, good for you i i have no idea um you know he'll remind franchise and i think they've made him an offer in my opinion that's above market value if he turns it down now i think the mets really have to explore the option of trading him in this his final year only if they can get a big uh, a boatload of players back you can't just move him for one singular prospect but they have made a good faith effort not only to david wright but to their fans saying we recognize his importance to this ball club if he turns this down the mets are going to have to try to parlay it to something for the future Sorry, Bruce. I don't know if I lost you. Are you still there, buddy? No, I'm still here. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, cool. Did, did you hear the end of that answer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I, I apologize, man. I, I That's okay. thought I lost you for a quick second, man. But no, no, I absolutely agree with you, say, man. And I think you know a lot of it's going to have to do. I think you know you got to figure out how much money in this thing is all deferred. I mean, is it you know is it going to be you know three million a year for the next you know you know whatever five years after the contract's over? Right. You know, that's obviously going to be a sitting point. But, again, we don't know what, what the entire package is. If we're talking seven, seven years at $100 million, if there's deferred money in it, then it's worthy of looking into. Is it half of the contract deferred with no interest? Then I'd say David Wright is getting the short end of the deal. 
If he's being offered anywhere north of 125, and again, we don't know the exact figure. I don't care how much money it's deferred. David Wright has a very reasonable offer on the table. No, absolutely. And if it's you know if, it, if it's legitimate and like the reports have said, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't sign it. Right. I don't see why he shouldn't sign it either. And you know, I, I think what it comes down to is this: is David, you know, and David Wright has not made it clear. Evan Longoria made it clear he wanted to be a Tampa Bay Ray for life, and I think he probably gave Tampa a, a hometown discount. I think Evan Longoria, even with the injuries, may have gotten a better deal on the open market when he came to free agency. He still had a while to go. David Wright has never made it clear that the Mets are the only place he ever wants to be. There may be a level of frustration that comes with seeing what this franchise has been through. Maybe David Wright wants to go someplace else. You know, I, I think, you know, and maybe in David Wright's world, he hopes he doesn't get that great offer so he can look good in leaving. Right now, he may be on the, on, the, on the negative side of the PR battle, but David Wright has never gone out of his way to say the Mets are the only place he wants to play. Now, nah, that's a very good point, Bruce. Once again, it's John Pielli. I'm here with Bruce Murray from SiriusXM. Now, as, as this offseason goes on, I was on another program a little earlier today, and I kind of you know, you know, really felt this point pretty passionately. Do you think that Sandy Alderson and the Mets are kind of putting everything else in regards to the team for next year on hold until the right situation's resolved? I, I don't think they're putting everything on hold. I, I think that David Wright is part of their, a part of their plan for the future. But uh, I think they've committed to hopefully keeping Wright so there is an iconic figure on the franchise, at least in the, in the current state of the franchise, and then the ability to build two or three years down the road. This is not a team that's going to uh, get involved in expensive free agency. Um, they are starting to rebuild the farm system, which I think Sandy Olson considers his most important task because it was left bare when he came here. And I think everybody in this organization recognizes that they are not going to fix this thing overnight. Now, that's tough. They play at City Field, brand-new ballpark in New York, and they don't want to be playing in front of twenty and 25,000 fans. But, you know, in New York, almost by default, you're going to get 2 million people to show up at your ballpark. It's hard to get less than 25, you know, on average for a season. But I, I believe that they are fully committed to doing this thing the right way. And I don't think they're going to get involved in long-term free agency until they've got some real prospects at the minor league level that they think they can add around. But I don't think Wright is, is, I don't think Wright is going to dictate what their future plan is. I think if he's gone, they'll parlay him into prospects. If he's here, the plan stays the same. Now, do you think that if the decision becomes to parlay him into prospects is probably something that happens sooner rather than later? Well, that, that's the interesting question. Uh, I mean, the, the question is, when is his value the greatest? He still only has a year left on the contract. Now, somebody may consider trading for him if they think they can uh, get him to sign long-term. But, but that's always the, the real challenge for a general manager. Is there more value now at the winter meetings than there would be if there are six or seven teams that think they could put him over the top of the trading deadline? I always think there's more, there's more value now. Trading deadline, you'll find a team, and they may give you a prospect. I mean, the, the, the Mets, trans, uh, you know, took Carlos Beltran and turned him into Zach Wheeler. Great. I think you've got to do better for David Wright, and I think that value comes now. But I don't know that the Mets are prepared to move him now. So it's a real game of cat and mouse at this point. Now, let's say, you know, put you on the spot. Does this deal get done? I think when it's all said and done, this deal is going to get done. I think David Wright's going to be a Met, yes. No question, man. I definitely agree with you on that one, Bruce. Now, as you move on to the Yankees, and a lot has been made about, you know, Hal Steinbrenner and wanting to keep this team in the payroll under $189 million going into the 2014 season. And based on some of the moves, you know, that have been made so far with a lot of, you know, their current players signing one-year contracts, things kind of lean towards that way. What's your opinion on how things may turn out going into the next year or so with the Yankees? Well, I think, I think you hit it right on the head. And I'm in the minority of people um, that think the Yankees are actually going to get uh, you know, below this, this, this uh, luxury tax threshold, which will be $189 million. I know people that cover this team very closely. They are very close to the Steinbrenners. And the Steinbrenners are bottom-line guys. They do not have the same passion for baseball that George did. And I shouldn't even say George didn't have a passion for baseball. It, it appeared that he did, and I think he grew into it. George had a passion for winning. And the way that he could exercise that passion was through owning the New York Yankees and having them win. His kids are bottom-line guys. They are looking at $189 million and saying, 
that is where we want to be in 2014, and that's why you've seen them sign all these guys to one-year deals. Now, the only thing that could derail that is if this team struggles and the seats that cost 250 and $300 are unoccupied for the better part of a season. Short of that happening, I truly believe they will get beneath $189 million in, in, in one year, and I think these one-year deals are a clear indication of exactly what they want to do. Now, now, as they move forward, do you see them uh, bringing any pieces from outside the organization? Because as, you, as you've seen so far, you know, with the you know with the Pettit you know deal and Rivera becoming imminent, um, you know, possibly Ichiro, you know, a lot of guys that they've they've had you know they've had before and have been part of the uh, the, the power here, uh, you know, are, are grabbing their one year deals. Do you, do you see them uh, being active, perhaps in a trade market or you know uh, free agency? Well, I, I don't know if they can be active in free agency with the, with the long-term commitments they have to certain contracts, Arad and Sabathia and Teixeira. They're going to have to re-sign Robbins and Cano. That's almost the top priority for them. He's going to get a lot of dollars. I, 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 am, I am as curious, I think, as you are to see what the future plan is because, let's face it, I am not a big Brian Cashman fan. I haven't been. You know, somebody's got to tell me the last real productive player he's produced, either offensively or you know, on the mound. You know, people will talk about Cano. That was a free agent signing from Mexico, not developed inside their own system. I've heard for years about Ben Wellos and Batances and Austin Romine. And you know what? I don't believe any of these guys are going to be productive players at the major leagues. The, the Yankee minor league system right now is not as good as they would like you to think it is. You know, they, they've built up all their prospects, but these guys should be at the major league level already. Ben Wellos should be there already. Again, Batances should be there already. Um, Austin Romine doesn't look like he's going to get there. So uh, I think they're going to have to investigate possibly a trade route, and then you ask yourself, all right, what are the tradable commodities on this team? Not going to trade Robinson Cano, and the other guys are virtually untradeable. They're, they're in a real, real strange situation. And, again, it may force them into free agency, something they'd like to avoid, but right now I think they're going to try and do a patchwork kind of system that we're going to see next year and then hope – that they have a prospect or two coming up, uh, you know, around the corner. Now, Bruce, do you think there's any uh, realistic chance that the Yankees could consider trading Curtis Granderson? I, I think there's a chance. Uh, you know, I, I, I do think there's a chance. Um, and I think it all depends on, on what he does to start the season next year. But, again, I'm not sure exactly how valuable he is in the open market. Remember, you know what the Yankees traded for him, and obviously right now the Tigers have a starting center fielder um, in addition to a bullpen guy, and, and you know the whole thing was parlayed into more. I don't know what, what you get for Curtis Grandison on the open market. So you're not going to get guys that can help you right now. You may be able to get him to a team to get some future prospects in return, but again, that's not the Yankees' M.O. Yeah. So do I think they'll consider it? I think there's a possibility. But I don't think it's a likelihood. Yeah, I agree with that too. Now, you know, in regards to Robinson Cano, is it is it too early to start thinking about you know what kind of money he's going to command in his contract extension? I, I don't think it's too early to start thinking about it. I mean, you know, look, at the end of next season, it'll be I think thirty. I think he was twenty nine this year. You, you you may know that better than I do, but he's right around there. He's yeah, I think he's going 30, 30, 31. You know, I, I think we are seeing baseball head in the direction. And I know Detroit, you know, gave Prince Fielder a lot of years. But I think that right now baseball, we saw it with Upton, I think we're going to see it with Hamilton, would like to limit the lengths of contracts unless they have a choice. I think the Yankees would like to limit Cano to five, perhaps six years. They are not going to pay him until he's 40. But I think to say that he's going to be in the ballpark of $17, $18 million is not far from where it's going to finish up. I don't think he's a $20 million guy. I don't know that, that there's other teams out there will give him that. But he's going to get paid more than 15 I mean, he's a top five, top ten MVP candidate almost every year. Um, he's a tremendous defensive shortstop. You know, if, if you're a sabermetrics guy, his war is outstanding. I'm not, but i got to throw that out there. He's going to get a high-valued contract. I think what what it comes down to for Cano is how many years he gets. No, I agree, and that you know that war stat you just brought out was probably the main reason Cano was in the uh, finalist for the AL MVP this year. You're right. I mean, I hate the war. I'm not a fan of it. You know, I, 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 Bill Madden wrote a column in the New York Daily News towards the end of the season, going, I don't, "I don't understand war. It's wins over this imaginary player," and I agree with him. Yeah. But you know, there, there are a lot of voters today that are buying into the concept of saving the metrics, and I think some of them are important. You know, I mean, I, I do think some numbers are important. The war one I have a hard time with, 
But yeah, Robinson Cano is always going to be, considering the position he plays, a very valued player in baseball. No, absolutely, man. I'm going to throw this statement at you, and you tell me if you agree. The AL MVP voting between Miguel Cabrera and Mike Trout, to me, was a battle between the baseball purist and the, the new generation of sabermetrics people. That's true. Uh, I, I actually believe that's true, because I think that there is part of me that believes Mike Trout was the better baseball player. And I think if you went through all the numbers, you may find that Mike Trout had a better season than, than Cabrera. But the old school guys could not divorce themselves from, from the idea that, well, he won the Triple Crown. That doesn't happen too often in baseball history. We haven't had 67. Uh, and they played in the postseason. The best guy on a team that plays in the postseason has to be better than a guy who I have to learn what all those numbers mean. You know, that's why Miguel Cabrera won it. You know, the old school guys won out. They held him off. And remember, we saw that tide switch a little a couple of years ago in the Cy Young voting. When, you know, uh, King Felix won a Cy Young, the Sabermetrics guys won there when wins wasn't important. I think so far the old school guys have held off the young school guys when it comes to offensive players. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think a lot of it has to do with the, the fact that, you know, you're trying to figure out the value to his team in, in addition to the entire league. And I think really when it came down to it this year, I think Cabrera's ability to carry the Tigers – you know, was a little bit better than Trout's ability to carry the Angels. Because I still think you look at the Angels and, you know, you look at, you know, Pujols and the pitching and everything. And I know the Tigers got Fielder and Verlander and, you know, all that. But it really looked like the beginning of August to the end of the season, Miguel Cabrera said, listen, guys, we're in second place, we're in third place right now. You guys get on my back, and I'm going to get you guys into the playoffs. And to me, I think that was the reason why I would be more in favor of Cabrera winning the award than Trout. Well, I, I would have been, too. I, I would have voted for Cabrera if I had a vote, and, and I think it, it comes down to what he did the last weeks of the season versus uh, Trout the last weeks of the, weeks of the season. But, it, but if I was going to play devil's advocate, I would say, you know what, before Trout got there, Pujols was struggling. The team was under 500. They actually won more games than the Tigers, so you know they, 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 they played at a disadvantage being in a division with Oakland and Texas, both who won 94 and 93, respectively. Sure. So I won a division with 88. You know, how differently would we feel about Mike Trout if the Angels beat out Oakland and also played on a team that ended up being in the postseason? I mean, so, you know, I, I, I get a little concerned when people only focus on the fact that, well, Detroit, you know, Detroit's in the playoffs and the Angels could be in or out of the playoffs without Mike Trout. I mean, they, they played at a disadvantage. But, you know, I'm with you. I think the last two weeks of the season when Detroit was making that push and they needed their guy to step up, Cabrera did. I would have given him the MVP. Now, I agree with that 100%. Listen, I'm going to ask you one more question in regards to uh, Sandy Alderson and the Mets. Now, you know, going into him taking over with his staff and everything after the 2010 season, you know, it seemed like it was more of a rollover of the team from 2010 into 2011, once again from 2011 into 2012. Personally, my opinion, I think it's time for Sandy Alderson to put his stamp on the New York Mets. You agree with that, Bruce? Well, I, I do, but, but as we go back to the conversation we had before, I, I think that's a lot of easier said than done. I think Sandy Alderson's stamp on this team may not be felt in 2013. I think Sandy Alderson's stamp on this team, if he has his way, is going to be really in 14 and 15. I, I think rebuilding this farm system, and it was going to take a couple of years for, for some of these guys to come up, was his primary responsibility. You know, the Mets are going to go into a season next year where you could put the outfield in a lineup and you wouldn't be able to pick them out. I mean, they are going to be unidentifiable players, with the exception maybe of Lucas Duda. If he's your best outfielder, you have a problem. This team had no talent coming through their minor league system. His stamp is going to be an influx of talent coming through that system in the next three or four years. It's not going to happen next year. No, that's fair enough. Listen, Bruce, I want to thank you for your time, man. I really enjoyed talking to you. Hopefully I can get you on the show sometime in the near future. Uh, happy to do it. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks a lot, man. That yeah, was Bruce Murray from SiriusXM. You could catch him um, Monday through Friday from uh, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. He's hosting the show himself right now. And, I, you know, you could hear right there, man. He's a guy that, you know, you just give him something and he goes with it, man. Excellent job. Um, you know, definitely a lot of good stuff we go over. We hit on everything pretty much from the Mets to the Yankees to the MVP voting. So, uh, you know, a lot of different stuff going on. We're glad to have Bruce being part of the program. And like I said, I'd really like to get him on sometime in the near future.
But um, listen, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to get into uh, part two of the first hour here of the Passball Show right here on the MTR Radio Network. do want to remind you that tonight um, you're going to get a chance to uh, listen to uh, 7 p.m. Philly Baseball Beat, followed by um, MTR Sports Report. And then there's a special Christmas music special going on from 9 to 10 o'clock tonight. Uh, after the show, I'm going to be doing a recording with uh, Greg Carlucci at the Carlucci Show, which is going to air on Saturday from 8 to 10 p.m. So if you guys want to check that out, um, definitely tune in from 8 to 10 this coming Saturday. It's going to be a regular thing. Carlucci after dark on Saturday nights from uh, 8 to 10 p.m. But listen, we're going to take a quick break. Um, lots more going on in the past ball show right here. It's John Pielli. Be a little back after this. MTR Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Joe Lamort from ADD Sports Radio. Thanks for tuning in to MTRRadio.com. Don't forget to tap that app in the Android market and iPhone app store. Search MTR Radio on your handheld device. Tap that app. We're on 24-7. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MTR Radio. What's up, everybody? This is James Flippin, and you're rocking with the crew on MTR Radio. Welcome to MTRRadio.com. You can listen to our live programming Monday through Friday. Get your voice heard by calling us at 609-910-0687 and on Facebook and Twitter at MTR Radio. You can put this together, right? <clears throat> I like to tap that app on MTR Radio. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um. MTR. Don't forget to tap that app in the Android Market and iPhone App Store. Search MTR Radio on your handheld device. Tap that app. Everybody's doing it. <laughs> MTR Radio. Hey everyone, this is Joe Lamort from ADD Sports Radio. Thanks for tuning in to MTRRadio.com. We're on 24-7. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MTR Radio. Don't forget to tap that app in the Android Market and iPhone App Store. Search MTR Radio on your handheld device. Tap that app. Everybody's doing it. <laughs> MTR Radio. I love MTR Radio because of its uh, innovative direction. That's a bunch of shit. I love MTR Radio because they accept me. Ah, uh, you knucklehead. Hey everyone, this is Joe Lamort from ADD Sports Radio. Thanks for tuning in to MTRRadio.com. We're on 24-7. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MTR Radio. Trending today on Twitter. MTR. MTR Radio. Welcome back. Passball Show, MTR Radio Networks. John Pielli, uh finishing up a solid hour, man. And uh, listen, we're going to open up the phone lines for a little bit, let you guys know if you want to hear your voice heard. The number is 609-910-0687. We're ready to hit up pretty much anything going on in Major League Baseball. Like we said, we talked a little bit about Denard Span going to the Nationals. That just kind of went through. Uh, he goes to the Nationals in exchange for a minor leaguer. And uh, obviously a lot of other stuff going on. We talked about B.J. Upton going to the Braves. And I, didn't, I listen, like I said, I don't think it's a surprise. I think Atlanta really was the best fit for him. And uh, listen, man, lot, lots going on. I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about the David Wright contract and what's being reported and whether it's – you know, it's true or not. I think there's been enough sources that have confirmed that the offer that the Mets made of seven years in the neighborhood of 127 to 135, maybe 140 million, depending on how you look at it, is legit. And I do agree with that. I really do feel in, you know, in that way that it kind of was. But I think the factor is, or the most important thing to really look at, is what the contract really stipulates. Is it totally backloaded to a point where it's embarrassing? I mean, is David Wright essentially getting paid, you know, 12 to 13 million the first like 3-4 years of the contract and have it all heavily backloaded and, you know, deferred with interest and stuff like that? I mean, to me that would look, you know, on paper like a really good offer from the Mets, but in the end you'd be insulting, you know, a player who really is your franchise type player. Now, I'm I'm on board with those and I think we are in the majority when it comes to feeling that the Mets are going to be best off 
and best suited with David Wright being part of the mix. You know, even as they're rebuilding, even if they take a step back for another year or two, that David Wright is still in the prime of his career and can absolutely be a factor when it comes to, the, to uh, you know, in the future. You know, when his team gets better, it's not like he's going to be 40 when the Mets are successful again. And hopefully, hopefully it doesn't take that long. You know, obviously the guy, you know, is in it, you know, is in his, you know, around, around 30, 31, 32, you know, yeah, you hope it doesn't take another eight years. I mean, because we're going to have a couple different regimes. You know, Alderson and his staff are going to be out. And, you know, the next staff's probably going to be out if they can't rebuild this thing and get themselves to a point where they're successful, you know, really within the next couple years. And I think, you know, right now, David Wright, you know, if it's a, a seven-year, $127 million offer, you know, and not ridiculously backloaded, you know, like Bruce Murray agreed with me on, he absolutely has to take it. And, you know, from that point, I mean, you know, if they, you know, if the ball's in David Wright's court. But, you know, let's be honest, maybe maybe David Wright doesn't want to stay with the Mets. I mean, the guy, the guy has done a great job of being, you know, the publicist, the spokesman, you know, saying all the right things. And he's going to continue to say the right things. There's no question about it. I mean, you're not going to expect David Wright to go out there and say, listen, I really don't want to be with the Mets anymore. And let's be honest, if he really feels that way, if, he, if that's the way that David Wright feels, how how are you the fan or me the fan going to really be able to know that? Because I mean I don't I, I, I don't know how you'd be able to know. David Wright's not going to say that in the media. You know that he is he's intelligent enough, he's articulate enough to not let something like that come out. But if the truth this offer is, you know, legitimate enough and he doesn't sign it, it can only mean one thing. That David Wright doesn't want to be here. Because, you know, you're not talking about a, a legitimate seven-year, $127 million offer and, you know, David Wright really wanting 10 years. Like I said, the only, you know, to me, the only monkey wrench in the whole thing is how, you know, it's structured. If it's ridiculously backloaded to a point where it's insulting to the guy, then I'd understand why he wouldn't want to take it. But let and, and I'm going to throw logic in there. And I know when you're talking about the Mets and the Will Ponds and the whole operation of the organization, logic doesn't really come to the front of your mind. But logically, this deal has to be somewhat legitimate. I mean, you know, unless the Mets are absolutely, you know, to a point where they're borderline criminal with letting, you know, a deal like this leaked if it, totally either number one isn't true which I, I think we could say that you know that offer was put in some way shape or form and number two ridiculously backloaded to a point where it's insulting to the guy and if that's true then shame on the Mets and the Mets are going to look even like bigger buffoons than they've looked you know at let's be honest for a good majority of their history and we're not just talking Sandy Alderson Omar Minaya uh Fred Wilpon we you go back to the you know, to the 70s and the early 80s and, you know, even the way that it started in the 60s where the only reason they had a team out there, the only purpose that they wanted to, you know, to have a team out there was not to compete, was not to win. They could have cared less about winning in 62 to 64. What they wanted is they wanted to bring a bunch of older players in there that the fans knew. They wanted to bring back the former Dodgers and, the you know, you know potentially former Giants and Yankee players and, and guys that – Fans can relate to, and they can say, "Hey, I knew this guy. You know, Gil Hodges was my favorite player in the early 1950s. You know, or you know, uh, well, you know, I, I like Don Zimmer, or I know, I know who Frank Howard is. They didn't care about winning. Yeah, and and honestly, you can make a case that that organization, the way it started, was run just as poorly as any other time in the history of the franchise, and not too many people touch on that." Everybody goes back to say, hey, you know, the biggest failure in the history of the Mets was what happened in the late 70s with M. Donald Grant and trading Seaver and everybody else on the team and going, you know, to a point where Shea Stadium, you know, you could hear a pin drop because there was nobody there. But let's be honest. Very few people criticize how this franchise got started. Now, that was their M.O. That was their choice. They decided to go that way. They didn't say let's be you know let let's go let let's let's lose a lot of games early, but we're going to build through a group of younger players, which would have been logical. Let's be honest, and I know hindsight is always always twenty twenty, but if you look at you look at you look at a lot of teams that started, you know, from their inception by just bringing in younger players, that was the time to do it, because they're expected to lose anyway. Who is who is expecting the New York Mets of nineteen sixty two to be a 
a National League power. Nobody. And I, I don't care what you brought in there. But the problem was that the Mets brought in so many older players and so many players past the prime of their careers that they actually had to get rid of all those players one by one before they could build a core, a nucleus, a group of younger players and decent players that were going to be able to turn the thing around. And to me, to me, I, I, I don't understand that. Obviously, I wasn't alive to see it. And I guess, you know, bringing a baseball team back to the National League, which it didn't, didn't have in about five years after 1957 happened and the Giants went to San Francisco and the Dodgers went to L.A., I understand that it, you know you wanted baseball back in the National League, but let's be honest. Even if you had a team of little leaguers, the National League baseball fans were going to come back, regardless of what you put on the field. So selling me on a friggin' uh, you know a friggin' Gus Bell or a friggin' Roger Craig, yeah, those those were names that were known. People knew who they were because they played before. But what could they possibly have contributed to a team that they had right there? And and and, and I, I don't know. Maybe maybe you disagree with me. But you know, let me know what you feel. Six zero nine nine one zero zero six eight seven. It's John Pielli on the Passball Show, live on the MTR Radio Network. And uh, listen, a lot a lot of stuff to go over. And uh, you know, I'm going to just kind of put my finishing touches on the David Wright thing. You know, you talk about, uh, you know, David Wright, should you trade him, should you not trade him? And everybody makes the comparison to the Jose Reyes situation and how that panned out. And, you know, there's so many people that really feel that they should have traded him. Uh, and I'm talking about Jose Reyes. David Wright is, is going to work this way. Either he's going to sign his agreement, you know, his contract extension, or you're going to look at a situation where the guy – is going to be traded immediately, and that's really what I feel. And I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a big guy in wanting to trade my stars. I don't, I don't really go for that. It ain't my biggest mo. I don't, I don't like to see, you know, especially a team I root for, trade its best player. I mean, I'm not, I'm not into that. I don't care for that as much as you know other people that just you know have this fascination with prospects that don't have any names. But in this situation, listen. You know, if you can't come to an agreement on this contract, and let's say the Mets are legitimate and you know serious and you know real about what they're offering right now, then you know David Wright decides he doesn't want to play here. Then what's going to happen? I think you should trade him. And don't and don't give me this crap about trade him for prospects, because to me prospects is the friggin' most waste of a word that you could use in the English language, especially in regards to baseball. You, you're going to sell me on prospects that, number one, don't even have names because you don't care. The person that's trying to sell you on prospects you know, just likes the word prospects. They don't care about the players that are actually involved. So if you're ever going to propose a deal to me, say trade this guy for not prospects but give me names. And if you can't do the research that's involved, if you're going to make a fair trade, then I don't even want to hear it. Because you you just you're just throwing you're just blowing smoke in the air. That's all you're doing. You're just going out there and saying, "Hey, prospects, prospects is a friggin' waste of a word." And honestly, if you use the word prospects without naming names, you don't have enough knowledge about baseball to be able to talk about it. And yes, I said that. I'm so tired of you people using the word prospects. Because honestly, when it comes to prospects, you don't care what you get. Let's be honest. When you say trade a player for prospects, you want that player gone. You just want that player out of here more than anything. That's more important to you than getting anything back. And that's what you're saying when you say trade a player for prospects. You want to say trade Carlos Beltran for Zach Wheeler. Then we could have a baseball discussion. You want to say trade David Wright for Will Myers and Salvador Perez. And Greg Holland, then we could have a discussion. And whether I agree with you or not, we could have a discussion because you're actually using players' names. So stop with this crap about trading for prospects because prospects is always, uh, you know, you could always wish. It's always a half glass, a glass half full kind of thing. You know, you got these young guys. Yeah, they're going to be great. You just give them a couple years. 
but you don't know anything about them. You don't know anything about these players. And I understand the research is out there and, you know, through Twitter and everything, you could get into baseball prospectus and everything and figure out a lot of stuff about, you know, minor league players and what they compare to and how they're doing in A ball and double A. Then how come you don't bring those names up in a conversation? And that's, let's be honest, is what I have the most problem with. So when it comes to David Wright, you consider trading him. But listen, before you want to go out there and say just trade him for prospects, tell me you're trading him for something. Tell me what you're getting back. And and I also don't want to hear, yeah, can you get me a catcher? Can you get me a shortstop? Can you get me a, you know, a right-handed pitcher? Can you get me a center fielder? Throw some names at me, please. Because trades don't happen. You know, and I know you hear a lot about it. this guy traded for a player to be named later. But the player has been decided who it is. And I, I want to hear some freaking names. You go out there and you make a trade proposal. And listen, it could be a Mongo trade. You know, it could be one-sided. But at least you're throwing a trade out there. At least you're throwing a trade proposal. And I could actually go for a Mongo trade. A trade, uh, you know, of, of, you know, let me get your best player for something I don't want. At least you thought it through. Not logically, but at least you, at least you, you thought about it. Let's trade this guy for this guy and this guy. And you might be a buffoon. You might sound foolish. You might sound silly. You might not sound like you know what you're talking about. But at least you made a trade proposal. Honestly, a trade like that, a Mongo trade, is better than a trade for quote-unquote prospects. And I'm just tired of hearing it. So if you want to be involved in the program, remind you the number 609-910-0687. Don't be shy. You get your right up here. Let me know what's on your mind, baseball-related. Like I said, the winter meeting's coming up next week. is start on Monday, and I do predict there's going to be a lot of action. You know, it's easy to say that, uh, you know, going back to last year was a, you know, maybe a little bit of a disappointment. Yes, there were some moves made, but, you know, you had pool holes signing. You had, you know, C.J. Wilson signing and stuff like that. So there was stuff going on. But I think it's going to be even greater this year. There's going to be a lot more player movement. I think teams, you know, a lot more teams even than last year consider themselves contenders. They think that if they make a proper move or two, they're going to get themselves back in a race. And you talk about a lot of teams, even that are on kind of the outside looking in. Some of the teams that really aren't out there going crazy to, to think that they're, they're great right now may think that they're a player or two away. And I do think more teams than not are going to be shopping ways to improve the team for the immediate future as opposed to the distant future. And that might make some of those, you know, quote-unquote trade for our prospects. And, you know, obviously we're going to fill in prospects with some real names. But deals like that may not happen as often this offseason as they will maybe into next season and beyond. Because I do think there's a lot more teams that think they're in it. Let's be honest. I mean, you know, you look at the National League East, and, you know, the Mets are certainly on the outside looking in. you got the Miami Marlins, who certainly don't plan on being competitive anytime soon. But the other three teams absolutely do. The Phillies, the Nationals, the Braves, they're all expected to win the division. They're all expected to be in the postseason next year. And you look at, you know, the other teams in the National League, you got the Cardinals, you got the, you know, you got the Reds, Brewers, Pirates. I think they all expect to have a chance to make the postseason next year. And let's be honest, even the Chicago Cubs, I wouldn't be surprised if they went out there and made a surprise move or two. I don't know if they're going to go crazy spending, but I think they're looking to build off of what they had last year. I think they're kind of in the same boat as the Mets right now. You know, they're a team that obviously lost you know over 100 games last year. But I think there's you know Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer in that group are trying to put the proper pieces in there to get themselves forward. They let Brian Lahair go. He's playing in Japan. You know, they made some moves. They, you know, they, they, they let, you know, they ended up uh, trading Chris Volstad to Kansas City, who since has been DFA'd. But they're, they're looking, they're trying to figure out what they got there. And their young core of players is built around Starlin Castro and Anthony Rizzo. And, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if they made some other moves there. Maybe a catcher, maybe an outfielder. Somebody that you, you may not think would end up in Chicago could be in Chicago. 
And, and I, I'm not going to pick them as a sleeper team. I don't think this is a team that's going to jump out of nowhere. They're not going to be the Baltimore Orioles or the Oakland Athletics of 2012. I'm sorry, of 2013. But I could see them legitimately thinking that they have a chance to contend this year. And that's going to involve a starting pitcher. You know, Matt Garza, if he could you know, be healthy next year, gives him a solid number one. I do think that they're serious when it comes to trading for a pitcher like a James Shields to kind of anchor the top of that rotation. And you go on to the NL West, and let's be honest, even the Colorado Rockies, as bad as they were last year, were probably the most injury-rattled team in baseball. And before you say, well, you know, my team had more injuries, look at what happened to them. That was a team that pretty much lost just about everything it had at some point, some way, shape, or form during the season. And yes, Dexter Fowler emerged. You know, and you look at that team, let's be honest, on paper, they're, they're a lot better than their record. And that had a lot to do with a lot of their injuries with the pitching. And I think, you know, I question the way that they decided to do things when they changed the operation of their pitching system to go with the, you know, the four, four-man rotation and the, you know, whatever, 60 pitches or whatever. I think it was a joke, and I hope they actually get rid of it. But I, I wouldn't at all be surprised to see the Rockies come back. The San Diego Padres finished tremendous at the end of last season. They're going to actually be in the free agent market. I wouldn't be surprised if they signed a Josh Hamilton when all is said and done. And, of course, you got the Dodgers and the Giants and the Diamondbacks who are all looking to take that National League West title. So National League... And then, you know, I could get in the American League if you want. You know, there, there are very few teams that are looking at, that are not looking at 2013 to potentially be a productive season. And let's be honest, I mean, I only named three teams that probably shouldn't be expecting to get to the postseason. And I said Cubs, I said Mets, and I said Marlins. The Marlins, I can't see them doing anything to change my mind. The Cubs and maybe the Mets. Could change your mind. It's going to have a lot to do with what happens in the offseason. We'll find out a lot more with the winter meetings on Monday. So once again, this is John Pielli, Passball Show on TR Radio Network. Wrapping up hour number one of the radio program. Uh, lots to go over in hour two. CJ Nikowski will be part of the show. Uh, we do have a couple other guests that will potentially be part of the program. Once again, we'll open up the phone lines. Remind you, after the Passball Show today, will be Philly Baseball Beat. Uh, MTR Sports Report and a special Christmas music special going from 9 to 10 tonight. So uh, live programming, going to hit you up probably till about 10 o'clock tonight. Uh, we'll definitely uh, be back in a little bit.